0: everybody, welcome to Where the Fuck Are We? The foreign affairs show that asks the three most important questions for Americans.
1: Where the fuck are we? Why the fuck are we there? And what the fuck does it have to do with me? I'm Kevin Janis.
0: I'm Benari Polton. And who the fuck are we? Barry, tell them who we
2: are! Buds. Nari Poulton is a writer and comedian, an adjunct professor at Cal State Fullerton, and a master sergeant in the U.S. Army Reserve, where he is affectionately known as G.I. Jew. Kevin Janis, in addition to being a very funny comedian and writer himself, is a fancy New York
1: based litigator, a Canadian, and like all Canadians, an
2: expert at being foreign.
1: Thanks, Barry. And as always, my opinions in no way reflect those of the U.S. Army or the U.S. government, and they are in no way an official endorsement of anything. So all that being said, where the fuck are we this week, Kevin? We're
0: in the quiet little Russian hamlet of Sochi. Get lucky. Get
1: lucky. Ha, ha, ha. That's right, we're up all night to get lucky in Sochi. With basically Russia's new national anthem, the very not-gay Russian police choir singing a very not-gay cover of Daft Punk's Get Lucky. It's totally, totally not-gay.
3: to <laughs> get lucky. to get
2: lucky.
0: Not gay at all. 75 hairy men in formal Russian police uniforms gyrating and singing about how they're going to get lucky.
1: Yeah, Russia sure does seem to be sending a lot of mixed signals during this Olympics.
0: That performance uh, was from the 2014 Winter Games opening ceremony.
1: A totally not gay ceremony.
0: Which is why the fuck we're in Sochi.
1: Yeah, and with the entire world pretty much focused on Sochi, we want you, our loyal listeners, to have some cool things to talk about when it comes up in conversation. Oh, and it will come up because Sochi is just a hot mess of issues right now. Yeah, and no issue is hotter, so to speak, than the major issues that Russia is having with the LGBT community. And that's thanks to Russia's growing anti gay laws, including legislation outlawing so called gay propaganda.
0: Gay propaganda. Not sure what that is exactly, but, well, it might sound a little something like this. But before we get to all that, we should put things in the proper context of history as we always try to do. You know, the Olympics jammed a thousand years of Russian history into a three-hour ceremony.
1: Yeah, hours and hours of a ceremony I had to sit through. Just endless marching. Marching.
0: Well, they did it in three hours. We're going to cover the entire history of Sochi in less than three minutes.
1: This
2: ain't history. This is the blitzery! Dating back to the ancient Greek and Roman empires, the land along the Black Sea, now known as Sochi, was home to the Zagi people. From the 6th to 11th centuries, the area is firmly in the control of Georgian kingdoms. Until invading nomadic empires, like the Mongols, decimate the landscape. Local mountain tribes dominate the region from the 14th to 19th centuries as part of the Ottoman Empire and become known as Circassians! 1817 to 1829, the region cannot escape the ravages of both the Caucasian and Russo-Turkish wars as the coastline is ceded to Russia. But the Circassians push back! Back, 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 back! all the way to 1864, when the Caucasian War ends in defeat for the Circassians. Renamed Sochi in 1896, the area grows into a popular Russian sea
1: resort, officially getting town status in 1917 during the Russian Civil War.
2: Sochi could go all the way. And here comes Stalin. As the newly minted Soviet Union grows, so does Sochi becoming the unofficial summer capital of the USSR with its beautiful beach resorts. And its many sanatoriums. Sanatoriums! And it was those top-notch hospitals that kept soldiers on the front lines in World War II, helping the Allied forces beat those pesky Nazis. Post-war, Sochi continued to leave its stamp on history, as Russia's first space monkeys are trained there in 1983. And although it borders war-torn areas like Georgia and Chechnya, and despite its subtropical climate, Sochi has recently won its greatest victory.
1: Hosting the
2: 2014 Winter
1: Olympics.
2: Who knows what the future will hold for Sochi, but you'll hear about it all right here Ah. The <laughs> All
1: right, so <laughs> this is really Sochi's time to shine on the world stage, and they're not off to a great start.
0: All we keep hearing about are uh, crazy stories about killing stray dogs and unfinished roads and hotels, massive corruption, security threats.
1: One guy thinks Sochi is doing pretty well, though. Uh, it's one of your countrymen, Kevin, the guy who ran the Vancouver Olympics
0: yeah uh here's john furlong on why he thinks we should cut sochi some slack
2: i think some of what's being said about sochi is not fair i mean the way russia saw sochi was this was going to be the gateway into the new russia so but if you had been in sochi um you know six seven years ago and four years ago when we went there to debrief the russians there was really nothing there so sochi built everything they built hotels they built roads bridges tunnels rail lines very sophisticated transportation systems, Olympic infrastructure uh, on an unprecedented scale because they had to build every arena, every venue, a new stadium for the opening ceremonies. So they had to do all of that, and what they've accomplished in four years is an almost, it's it's extraordinary what they've been able to build.
1: Wait, they built everything
0: from scratch? That's what the man said. There was nothing there.
1: Okay, so when Soji won the bid to host the Olympics, they had nothing. Putin can be... Pretty persuasive.
0: I have $50 billion worth of reasons in this briefcase. Yeah,
1: (laughs) well, that's probably part of it. Uh, Hey, fun fact about the games being held in Sochi. They're not actually taking place in Sochi proper.
0: Well, I mean, to be fair, the Vancouver Olympics weren't really in Vancouver either. They were really in Whistler.
1: What the hell? This is like how New York City keeps saying they, they hosted the Super Bowl this year, but really MetLife Stadium is in East Rutherford, New Jersey. So it's all lies.
0: Sochi proper is part of greater Sochi, and the athletes are actually competing in Adler, which is just north of Georgia's breakaway territory, Abkhazia. All
1: right, this sounds like geography.
0: Am I losing you?
1: Nah, we just need to sex it up a bit. Oh, God. Yeah, it's time for getting fat. <laughs>
3: Sochi is one of the longest cities in the world, 12 miles long, nestled deep inside the greater Sochi area, which spreads out across 1,361 square miles, reaching around the Black Sea, along the hard base of the Caucasus Mountains, it's so big and long. But the newly erected Olympic Stadium is below Sochi proper, and the outdoor events are being held 30 miles away in the Krasnaya Polyana Resort, blasting the Games deep into the Caucasus Mountains. Mmm, oh, I love getting fact.
1: Okay, so Putin's pushing the Olympics right into the Caucasus Mountains. You know, you never hear about good things happening in the Caucasus.
0: I don't know. Maybe it's not too bad. Here's CNN reporter Ivan Watson on Sochi.
2: Russia and the International Olympic Committee decided to have the Winter Olympics in the most
0: difficult, most turbulent, most politically charged, and conflict-prone part of uh, Russia, and certainly of the (laughs) Caucasus. And okay, well, (laughs) it is that bad. And look, Georgia and the disputed territory of Abkhazia is just south of Sochi on the border along the Black Sea, and it was only a few years ago that Russia and Georgia went to war.
1: I mean, we're talking about 2008 here. Yeah, that whole area has a history of terror and violence. You know, they just had the recent bombings in Volgograd, and Sochi's right next door to Chechnya, which has a terrible history of war with Russia. Plus, that's where the Boston Marathon bombers were from. Yeah, and Dagestan where their family still lives. Yeah, so this is not super awesome for me as a Boston guy. Uh, it's almost like Putin is daring these guys to try something. I mean, Chechen rebel leader Doku Omarov has made numerous threats already. He's, he's been calling for attacks, you know, on, during, after the Olympics. He's been doing this for months. Well, you don't mess with the Chechens. Then again, you don't
0: really want to mess with Putin either. No. Putin's like the Russian from my favorite episode of The Sopranos ever, Pine Barrens.
2: I'm gonna talk fast. The guy you're looking for is an ex commando. He killed 16 Chechen rebels single handed. Get the fuck out of here. He was with the interior ministry. Guy's some kind of Russian rainbow You're not gonna believe this. He killed 16 Czechoslovakians. Guy was an interior decorator. Folly! <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was an interior decorator. I, I miss
1: that show. I love that Polly can't tell the difference between Chechnyans and Czechoslovakians. It's like real life. But you're totally right. That that Russian, that crazy Russian is totally Putin. And I think what Putin's saying here is, uh, you know, fuck you, Georgia. Fuck you, Chechnya. And to you, Doug Shittistan, I say, fuck you. In an evil genius way, this is a win-win situation for Putin. If, God forbid, there is an attack. It's inevitable because it's already a dangerous area, and then he gains the world's sympathy, and he has the pretext to go to war with a longtime enemy. However, if he's successful, and he pulls this off, and there are no major attacks, this guy becomes invincible. It's a monumental show of strength. This is a totally calculated risk. Look at what I have done here. Look, nobody touches me. (laughs) You know, really, there's no downside for someone like Putin in a situation like this. If he were just a straight-up Bond villain, he doesn't care about a few thousand people getting killed. Very sad, so many people died. But now
0: there's no more Jejnia. Oh, I sure hope no one attacks my shiny,
1: bright target
0: here. All joking aside, for everyone's sake, uh, I obviously hope Sochi is as secure as Putin wants us to believe. Oh yeah, you
2: know But th- th-
0: this is this is basically. Um, Oh, I wish you would have loved this guy. Former Canadian Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, when he was the Prime Minister, you would have loved him. He, runs, he, he used to run uh, the Liberal Party like a mob boss. I mean, there was just no screwing around. And no country wanted to host the G8 summit after the Seattle riots in 1999 and the Genoa riots at the 2001 G8. And plus, it was after 9-11. I mean, the thing, nobody wanted any piece of this thing. When Chrétien says, don't worry, he says, you come to Canada, I'll take care of security. And unlike any of the previous G8s, he takes the G8 and he puts it in a remote mountain location in the middle of nowhere, Alberta. He puts up a 60 mile perimeter and nobody, nobody gets near it, let alone any protesters. Is this sounding familiar? And it was so successful that ever since then, the G8 summit, has for the most part been held at remote locations. Because Kretchen changed the game. So guess where the G8 is this year? Uh Uh-oh. I'm guessing it's somewhere in Russia? (laughs) June 4th to 5th, 2014, Sochi, Russia. (laughs) Of course!
1: Of course the next G8 is in Sochi. Oh, man. Hosted by Vladimir Putin. What a power play. All things considered, especially if the G8's going to be there in June... I think the Olympics are going to be pretty safe. I'm sure Putin is going to keep things safe. But don't just take my word for it, Kevin. I think we need to turn to an international security expert here and friend to Vladimir Putin, Steven Segal.
2: Here he is talking to Mike Huckabee. You do have a good relationship with Vladimir Putin. Do you feel confident that he and the Russian government can make this a safe environment?
3: I just think that the chances of any of these suicide bombers actually being able to pull it off are extremely remote. You know, Sochi's on such high alert. They've got uh, amazing assets in place. President Putin is doing the very, very best he can. Uh, it's going to be pretty tough for anybody to pull it off.
0: Stephen Seagal. Could someone please explain to me what Steven Seagal is doing being interviewed by a major uh, news outlet about security, let alone with Mike Huckabee.
1: You see, I have Steven Seagal, star of Hard to Kill, so fuck you, world.
0: Putin really does seem to be in F.U. mode here, doesn't he? I mean... Uh, Look, that's basically what he said to the journalists covering the Olympics. Hotels are still under construction, if you can believe it. Reporters who are already there are tweeting that their rooms are
1: unfinished or that accommodations are certainly less than ideal. Another tweeted, my hotel has no water.
3: When I first got here, there were no towels, there was no toilet paper, uh, there were
0: no
1: light bulbs, and the fridge doesn't work. I don't appreciate it one little bit. We've all heard about the terrible treatment of the journalists in Sochi. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They've been tweeting about it. They've been writing articles about it. Nonstop. Uh, I love that clip you found, Kevin, from Canada's big political talk show, though.
2: Oh, uh, yeah, power play.
1: Yeah, so they have the Russian ambassador to Canada, and, and here's what he had to say about it.
2: What do you make of these uh, journalists that are all complaining their hotel rooms aren't done? They're always complaining. <laughs> <laughs> Concise, gotta...
1: to the point. <laughs>
0: The Russian ambassador to Canada is a complete throwback Cold War Soviet uh, diplomat, calling them a bunch of whiners. Oh, yeah. Hard water. Bah, you know nothing. You read some Solzhenitsyn in college and think you know gruel.
1: But it's indicative <laughs> of sort of how Russia is treating this. It, you know, this is how you treat people you don't want there. Uh, you know, yeah. Hey, Putin doesn't want these guys sniffing around about corruption or human rights abuses Yeah, here, go look for light bulb. Well, you know, when I was deployed, we'd deal with commanders downrange sometimes who didn't want to deal with the media. And, you know, we'd say, well, look, you know, you got to take these guys along and look after them. So they'd have to look after them, but they didn't have to make things comfortable for them. (laughs) So these guys would make the journalists feel the suck a little bit more. It's funny to say, but it actually accomplishes two things. One, it keeps them focused on essentials. You know, it's hard to be... Digging around, looking for, uh, you know, asking investigative questions when yeah. you're you're concerned about getting a cantina water or you're trying to get another notebook. Uh, but in addition to that, it also helps form this weird bond. Uh, you know, they they would love me. You know, I'd give them a candy bar or I'd like, you know, I could track down something for them that they needed, whether it was like internet connection or just, you know, a, a spare, uh, you know, spare pen or something. They're thankful for any little bit of help they could get. That's kind of what Putin's doing here,
0: right? He gives them nothing, then they're thankful for whatever scraps he tosses them.
1: Yeah, and it's working.
2: I got all my bulbs, my lamp, lamps, my TV works, my fridge works,
3: my plugs all work. And I see palm trees and green grass. And I mean, honestly, I kind of lucked out.
1: See, he lucked out. He's totally lucky. We up all night to get lucky. We up all night to get lucky.
0: Well, they are kind of lucky. I mean, based on how Putin normally handles journalists. Yeah, you know, dozens of journalists have mysteriously been murdered under Putin's reign. This is horrific stuff. Like uh, Anna Polakovskaya, an investigative journalist who was a strident critic of the Kremlin, and she was murdered in 2006, right after publishing a scathing book on Putin. Pure coincidence, I'm sure.
1: Although nothing's ever been directly linked to Putin, Putin, by the way, a guy who is former KGB, some American journalists like Steve Levine, uh, they they think that uh, the blame kind of comes back to Putin anyway.
3: What we do know is that Putin is at fault in the sense that he created the atmosphere of impunity in which killings like this can happen and won't be brought to justice.
1: Yeah, so I guess these guys are kind of lucky he's just, you know, messing with their light bulbs. Well, and as long, look, as long as
0: they're feeling lucky, they're not covering real problematic Russian domestic issues, right? I mean, this is a common theme with Putin. Divert, distract. Oh, sure. Put him in their place
1: a little bit. Show him who's boss. But look where they're holding the Olympics. They're holding the Olympics at Putin's summer resort. He's holding the Winter Olympics. The Winter Olympics at the place where he has his <laughs> summer home. If that's not a power play. You know who else?
0: used to summer in Sochi.
1: Uncle Joe,
0: Joseph Stalin.
1: Think of it as the Soviet version of Martha's Vineyard. Stalin loved Sochi and his summer home here. Today, this place is a private hotel that has
3: special tours through Stalin's private quarters. Here we have a small historical corner because our country doesn't have state-sanctioned Stalin museums. People have very different attitudes toward him. Many consider him a great politician and many a dictator and a killer.
1: A few original items belonging to Stalin himself remain.
3: Here's his original desk. Next to it is a small modest bed, the famous leather couch. Bulletproof, by the way. Stalin was paranoid
1: and security was always a priority. A bulletproof couch! Of course he had a bulletproof couch! You know, the guy made a few enemies, what with the slaughtering of millions of people. You can't see this, we have to put the video up, but there's a wax figure of oh, it's Joseph so Stalin that looks like a cadaver! It's so creepy! It's him! And you know, I love the woman who's like, people are divided on Stalin. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's
0: a mild difference of opinion on Stalin. And then she says, some say he was a great politician. Others say a dictator and a killer. Yeah, but who knows? Who knows? Who can say? I love that Stalin had one place in Sochi, but you know how many Putin
1: has? Two. Of course, because he's the bear. Speaking of... Oh, nice. Good transition. So obviously, the major story right now is Russia's treatment of the LGBT community uh, especially its laws concerning gay rights. Uh, counselor, can you bring us up to speed on this? As much as the
0: world is only looking at Russia now, uh, this is, isn't is a new problem. Merely engaging in same-sex sexual activity was a federal crime until 1993. Right. Uh, now, recently, a lot of the furor has come because last July, Putin signed uh, a law making it a crime to distribute gay propaganda whatever that is,
1: uh, to minors. Right. Well, meanwhile, President Obama responded by sending openly gay athletes as America's representatives to Sochi. Uh, And yeah, and our ambassador, the US ambassador to Russia just uh, just made a a public statement saying uh, they got the message. Russia knows what we meant. So, yeah, I, I guess this just adds to the awkwardness that already exists between the two leaders. Well, speaking of awkward. Uh,
0: nothing will ever be as awkward as when President Taft uh, visited the Tsar in Russia, which brings us to today's Taft Fact.
3: According to historical accounts, President Taft was so fat that when he visited the Russian Tsar, his pants split open as he got out of his carriage. Taft then slowly backed away so the Tsar wouldn't see. And that's today's Taft Fact.
0: Back away, Taft. Slowly back away. Taft fact! It always comes back to taft somehow. He's amazing. Back to Putin, though. He really is ratcheting up his, his rhetoric. I mean, now he's deliberately linking gay and lesbian issues with pedophilia and
1: children. Well, that's right. Uh, you know, last month he said gay people are absolutely welcome at the Olympics. And then he had to add, please leave the children at peace. Uh, it's awful.
0: You know, an openly gay city councillor from Vancouver who was interviewed in Sochi uh, summed up his impressions from being there.
2: Well, I have uh, certainly been uh, talking with uh, activists. Their word to me is that it is indeed very difficult. No matter how you understand the law, it's giving uh, fear to not only the gay community, but it's also allowing people who are homophobic in the first place to, uh, uh, to have a greater license.
1: Even the mayor of Sochi himself has weighed in on the issue. The mayor of
2: Sochi drew some criticism recently when he was asked if gays were accepted in his town. He responded, We do not have them in our city.
0: Well, that's it. I mean, we do not have them in our city. Okay. Just 18 miles up the road, just off the city
2: center, there is still a hidden world down this alley, behind these unmarked doors. Club Mayuk is one of two known gay clubs in this city.
0: Gay clubs in Sochi! Two gay clubs in Sochi. One of two known gay clubs in Sochi.
1: Club Mayuk. So it turns out that Sochi has Russia's second largest gay and lesbian population after Moscow.
0: And apparently, Sochi was a huge gay destination in the Soviet era. Uh, It's been described as having been like a gay Ruski Vegas. What happens in Sochi stays in Sochi. Here's
1: what the bartender at Sochi's Club Mayuk had to say about Sochi.
3: If you wanna see the Russia, come to the Sochi. Uh, I said like the gays,
1: let's come to Sochi. This is the best city for gays or lesbians. There you have it. Sochi's Sochi's the best city for gays and lesbians.
0: <laughs> so basically. Vladimir Putin has chosen the gayest city outside of Moscow to host his Olympic Games.
1: Yeah, it's, it's this is fantastic because I had no idea that it was actually a gay Mecca in Russia. And what's really interesting to me is that we're researching this. And based on the interviews that, that we watched, you know, you see there's actually a, a pretty big diversity of opinion in the gay community. Um Yeah. The, the feelings of the gay community in Sochi uh, are pretty complex and nuanced, I think. Right. I mean,
0: the Western media has turned this uh, into a very black and white uh,
1: situation. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they're, they're against the policies, but they're very pro-Russia and very pro-Sochi. Oh absolutely, absolutely. Very very proud uh,
0: uh, proud Russians and very pro Sochi. And but but just listen to a couple of these interviews. The first is with a woman named Olga Childs and the next is with Timur Kidrajev, one of the Russian drag queen performers at Club Mayuk.
3: For example, I go about Russia just by trying to kind of blend in. I would not, you know, you're out, you're out. I'm not going to hide it. If somebody walks up to me and says you gay, I'll say yeah, sure. <laughs>
2: Some foreigners think it's like the Stalin era here, that gays are being shot. No, it's not like that. We live peacefully. The law can't ban us from loving somebody.
1: So obviously this is a very complex issue and I think there's a lot more going on here. Uh, That's basically what the owner of Cabaret Mayok had to say when he was talking about Russian politicians and their views on gay and lesbian issues.
2: Politicians are trying to gain points
3: and have artificially created a
0: problem. Also, it's a way to distract citizens from more serious things.
3: They blame gays,
0: but they are mentioning the economic recession or the devaluation of the ruble. So here we are back again with the distraction. Distraction, distraction, distraction.
1: It's a theme here, right? This is classic Putin. This is an old school political tool, whether it's Russia, Germany, even America. You just blame the outsider. You know, and, you know, Russia's at it again. This isn't the first time they've they blamed other groups. They used to blame the Jews. Now it's blame the gay people. And by the way, uh, as a Jew, it's not super great to see Cossacks roaming the streets of Russia again as part of the security force. <laughs> oh,
0: God. No. Uh, but look, it, it, no, it's, it, it's this. This is such a, a crucial point because Russia has a uh, uh, huge fundamental domestic problems right now slow economic growth last year because of lower energy exports faltering investment uh, and consumer demand they've got high unemployment money's flying out of the country their healthcare and educational institutions are a mess and need reform the crime rate spiraling out of control the level of corruption is ridiculous but look it's a
1: 51 billion
0: dollar olympic ceremony Exactly. The circus in the old bread and circuses technique. Panem et Kierkenzi's. Oh, look at you dropping the Latin as we
1: near the end.
0: Boom! Speaking of the end, we have so much more we could talk about.
1: Yet we haven't even discussed the Edward Snowden issue. Representative Mike Rogers said
0: recently that he'd pay for Snowden's ticket back to the U.S., and he said that Russia may have
1: even been behind the leaks. Well, look, you know, that's that's another complex issue. So I I leave it to someone with far more expertise and wisdom on the subject to weigh in. Let's go to international liaison and close personal friend of Vladimir Putin, Steven Seagal.
3: I've spoken intimately numerous occasions to Congress and, uh, you know, a lot of them are Uh, under the strong impression that Snowden is not necessarily a criminal and possibly even a hero. uh, It's not easy for me to comment.
1: There you go. A man who is very intimate with Congress, (laughs) but totally not in a gay way.
0: A fitting end to this podcast. We really want to thank a few people for helping make the show possible. Shelley Lewis, Darby and Barry for lending us their voices. Greg Russ, our sound engineer.
1: Yes, and, uh, you know, please follow us on Twitter at WTFAWshow, at Kevin Janus, and at Benari Lee. You can find us on
0: Tumblr and SoundCloud, and we're now available on iTunes under the name WTFAW. Please subscribe. It's the fastest way you'll get every new podcast downloaded automatically right into your listening device.
1: I swear on Bob Costas' Olympic pink eye, uh, it's the best way to go. Just subscribe to us. And if you like what we do here, please give us a nice five-star review on iTunes because, you know, that shit matters. Uh, you know, thank you so much for listening. I'm
0: Kevin Janice. I'm Benari Polton. Please join us next time when we try to figure
3: out where the fuck are we? Like the legend of the phoenix huh? All ends with beginnings What keeps the planet springing the force in the beginning Lo